Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Ralph Emerson. Ralph Emerson is a pastor, speaker, and author. With a dynamic voice and captivating delivery, he has been able to reach thousands of people with the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Ralph's ability to be biblical, practical, as well as culturally and generationally relevant has opened doors for him to speak across different platforms nationally. He graduated from Florida A&M University with a BS in Business Administration and is currently pursuing theological studies at George W. Truett Theological Seminary. He announced his call to preach on July 15, 2001 and began his preaching ministry October 21, 2001 under the leadership of his father, Pastor Ralph W. Emerson Jr. of the Rising Star Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. There he served as youth and young adult pastor, executive pastor of Next Generation Ministries, and church executive pastor. In addition to serving at Rising Star Baptist Church, Ralph served at Citygate Church in Burlington, North Carolina as the executive pastor for five years and as senior pastor of Impact City Church in Odessa, Texas for almost two years. He spearheaded the Community Relations Committee alongside the Burlington, North Carolina Chief of Police, implementing a new training module for the police department and developed a youth violence task force. He is currently the Associate Director of the Cooperative Program for Texas Baptists and the Senior Pastor-Elect at Rising Star Baptist Church. Without further ado, Ralph Emerson. Good morning. Uh, so glad to be with you all, to Dr. Kramer. Uh, I say thank you to your president, to Luis, for this opportunity uh, to stand and to share with you. Um, it is always great when I have the opportunity to serve in this capacity, and so I am so grateful. Uh, I thank Dr. Terry Moore for getting me out of the heat today. Uh, she is a New Testament professor, and I'm about to preach out a New Testament, so I'm a little nervous. We'll see how this goes. Uh, let's pray. God, we love you. It is always a privilege to hear from you, and so our prayer is simple, that you would speak, that we would listen so that we would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to read one verse of scripture for you. We'll look at the larger context, but John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verse 5. John chapter 2, verse 5. John chapter 2, John, fourth gospel in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 5. New International Version simply says this, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I'll repeat it. Mary, Jesus's mother, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I want to talk with this title in mind, just do it. 
just do it. I have a young daughter. She's 10 now. And for all of her life, she has been extremely literal in how she communicates. And so it causes a problem when we try to talk to her or ask her to do things because we're not always being that literal. And so we have these issues when we're trying to get her to do what we need her to do and she's not responding. And my wife will say something like, listen here, a hard head makes for a soft behind. And she want to know, how is her head hard? How does that connect to her behind? What is the correlation between the two? Well, my wife, who grew up in the country, would say something like, you're going to find out that fat meat is greasy. What is fat meat? She'll say, how is it greasy? How does all of that work? And finally, we just have to say, listen, do what I asked you to do. Because we have to tell her that doing isn't always about understanding. Doing is about obedience. I want to suggest to you today, Chris Will, to make up in your mind to just do some things. That we have to be careful that not having total clarity or total control pauses our progress in purpose. You know what I mean. You want clarity, that you want to be able to see it before you step toward it. That you have to know the end from the beginning, and if you don't have it, then you don't move. Or you want total control. You, you want to hold it first to see if you can handle it when we don't realize that that's not how it works because we want to test to see if it's going to be too difficult you know if it's too difficult then we're out like if I really have to study this hard then I'm out if I really have to sacrifice then I'm out you mean like I really have to take some time off the gram and off TikTok and do something different then maybe I'm out and the problem is that we like to call ourselves people of faith but we really live as people of facts that we rather listen to people we can see and people who are cultural and popular than paying attention to the God we can't see because it's a mystery. But removing this mystery does not reduce the magnificence. That mystery of who God is and what he is calling us to should push us to what has yet to be revealed. That in order for us to be who God has designed for us uniquely, individually, and collectively, there is going to be a responsibility for you and I to do despite the mystery. That's really the whole, one of the major premises of John's gospel is that mystery. When John writes his gospel, he's last. He's, he's coming up last to write his gospel because there have been issues with how people are treating Jesus in the culture. There is this cultural notion where Gnosticism is big and they want this higher knowledge. They want to deny this deity of Jesus on one hand and then deny the issue of the body on the other hand. And so there are these issues or rather the necessity of having Jesus and the necessity of Jesus being the access to God. And so John wants to clarify all of this and says, no, no, no. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And and the word was God, so much so that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He's giving us a foundation for this mystery that we need to embrace the mystery of who God is, that we have to embrace the mystery of a God who is above you so that he can be God for you and do what he wants to do through you. 
And so John goes on now to show the magnificence and how Jesus calls his disciples. And then we land here in our text at a wedding. Jesus is at a party. And in case nobody ever told you in Sunday school, Jesus likes to party. He's at a Hebrew wedding and Hebrew weddings are way more lit than anything we go to. They party for days and weeks and they have a good time. And the problem is Jesus is chilling. He's posted up on the wall. He's minding his own business and they run out of wine. Mary somehow knows that they have run out of wine. The text doesn't tell us how she knows. This is what we understand that she knows they've run out, but she comes to Jesus. We don't know how she knows, but we know that she comes. Stop there for a moment and sit with that because we need to realize also what we need to do when we run out of something that we need to know who to go to when we run out of the things that we need in our lives. That when trouble shows up, that we know that we should go to Jesus, that Mary didn't run to the corner store or a neighbor or the village or knock on somebody's dwelling outside of the wedding party. She knew to go to Jesus. And when she gets there, Jesus asked Mary, why do you involve me? He literally says, woman, why do you involve me? Now, when I read that, that's problematic. I got an old school mama. If I would have said, whoa, I wouldn't have got to man before she knocked me out. It ain't going to go down like that. But for context, if you translate it properly, Jesus is really saying ma'am or miss. It it would be colloquially like us saying, ma, why why are you bothering me? Why, Why me? It's not really my time. And Mary gives Jesus in my spiritual imagination that that mom look over the glasses and turns to the servants and tells them, hey, just do whatever he tells you. We need to learn to be like Mary in the sense of, I don't know, God, how you're going to do it. I just believe that you will. This one line that Mary states sums up to me the entirety of our Christian walk and journey. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Not do it if you like it or if it's comfortable or if it makes sense or if it makes you feel good. Do whatever he tells you. And so he gives them a few things to do. First, he tells them to address their participation. You got to address your participation. Historically, this is considered Jesus's first miracle. This timeline of John's gospel, this miracle is before any other miracle in Mark, Matthew, or Luke. And this miracle required Mary to go to Jesus, Jesus to talk to the servants, and the servants to do what Jesus asked. In other words, this miracle was attached to obedience. The problem that was presented was only going to be be solved by the participation of the people. In verse 7 of the text, Jesus says to the servants what to do. I grew up watching old cartoons like the Jetsons, and I used to love when George and, and Elroy and Judy would walk up to their machines, and they could just push a button, and a hamburger would appear. They could just say water, and it would come out of nowhere. This is what we need to understand, that this was not that, that Jesus wasn't going to just wave his hand and magically make wine appear in this moment they were going to have to participate that they were going to have to do something here it is the servants were actually going to have to serve 
because servants serve, y'all, who they are receiving direction from has changed, but their responsibility to serve has not changed. And maybe our issue, ladies and gentlemen, is not that our problems are too hard, but maybe oftentimes our participation is too weak. Maybe the issue isn't our ability. Maybe the issue is our availability because ministry and miracles in scripture require our participation. The lame man has to take up his mat. The blind man has to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Even in 1 Kings 18, the ravens have to obey and participate and feed Elijah. Can I challenge your work ethic today? And on this first week of this semester, that what God promised you and what God promised in his word isn't just going to fall out of the sky. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make up in your mind that in this season and this moment, I'm going to study hard. I'm going to budget. I'm going to fill out the resume. I'm going to get out of someone's DMs and fulfill purpose. I'm going to stop complaining. Ask yourself, when is the last time you fasted or worked out or tried something new? When was the last time you shared your testimony? When was the last time you served? Because you have to address your participation. But you also have to assess your pots. The text says nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim out of everything that Jesus could have asked them to do and get, he gets the jars. One translation says the pots. He gets the, the pots. If we interrogate this narrative, we could say, why the pots? Like you couldn't have asked for empty wineskins. You couldn't have asked for new wineskins. You couldn't have asked for a separate type of bucket or container. Why the pots? And this is why, because Jesus wants us to assess them. He wants us to assess what is sitting, what is available that is not being used at maximum capacity, what is just lying dormant in you, Chriswell, what is just laying around you that could be used because these pots had a purpose and they had already served their function. And Jesus exposes in this moment that he can take what was meant only for washing and also use it for wine. Because truthfully, many of us are sitting on gifts and talents and relationships that can still be used because what you have is enough. All you have is all you need. And if we start using what we have, God can open the door to new possibilities. Use the relationships you have, the job you have, the iPhone camera that you have, the resources that you have, because sometimes they're just sitting. Then Jesus also says, assess them because you have to assess what's sacred. The jars carry water for ceremonial washing. So hand washing, they would put their hands under one pot, they'd pour water from the other, and they would constantly pour this water in and out of these pots and wash the dirt and the food and the mud and the work and the day off of their hands before meals. It was a big deal. The Pharisees argued with Jesus and his disciples because they did not wash their hands before they ate. 
And Jesus now wants to use these washing pots for wine because he's trying to remind these people, as he did the Pharisees, that these pots for washing are sanitary, but they're not sacred. There's nothing special about these pots. What's more special is the people's joy because he can repurpose these things that are sacred to give them success. What is sacred in your life? You know what I mean by sacred. That thing in your life that you say, don't touch it, don't move it, don't change it, don't challenge it. You know that thing where you say, that's just me or that's how I am or that's just the way it is or that's just my family or that's how we grew up. No, Jesus wants you to assess what you think is sacred. He also wants you to assess what you think is soil, though, because, mind you, they're taking their dirty hands and they're mixing this water back and forth, this dirt that's going into these pots, and now Jesus wants them to fill up these nasty, oh, muddy pots with more water to turn. These things haven't been cleaned or set ablaze and scourged. They're just nasty pots, and he's going to use them for wine because even what we discover is that Jesus can use mess and turn it into a miracle. I'm not telling you to be flamboyant with your sin, but what I am telling you is that if you're willing to give it to Jesus, he can assess your mess and address your mess and then use it for ministry. That he can take what is broken in you and use it to bless somebody else. Just ask Rahab, the prostitute who had a brothel in the military town of Jericho in the wall, who turned her sin into a place for the spies and realized the God of Israel was greater than the sin in her life. And Rahab later becomes the great grandfather of David. A prostitute turns into a princess because she assessed her pots. Here's the third thing I want you to do. I want you to attach your people, Jesus says. He then he told them, verse 8 says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Then he told them draw some out. And they did so. When Jesus gives the instructions, the servants go to work. Notice what I said. The servants go to work. This is why these stone washing pots would have been anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds. When you fill them up with water, they would have been approximately 700 kilograms. So anywhere from about 14 to 1500 pounds. That means it's heavy. I don't care how much you bench, bro. That's heavy. I don't care how much you squat. I don't care. That's heavy. No one person could have carried these pots by themselves. They needed to be together in order to carry them. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Your purpose is too big for you to try to do life by yourself. You cannot carry this weight on your own. What God wants to do is too big for any one of us to do on our own. We've got to be willing to connect with other people and attach with people and purpose to see what God wants to do. Because together we can carry more than we can ever do by ourselves. He says, attach his people. So he says, address your participation, assess your pots. Touch your people and finally just amaze at his presence. Verse 10, it says, and said, and said, they've drunk this wine. They've realized how good it is. And it says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the 
best till now. When the head waiter, the master servant, tastes the wine, he's amazed because no one puts the good stuff out last. No one puts the good. They give you the good stuff at the beginning and then the watered down liquor later so that you can just keep the buzz. Don't ask me how I know. But Jesus doesn't do that. He saves the best till last. And listen, my point with that is I need you to realize you don't have to be discouraged by what was. You don't have to be discouraged even by what is or what you've been through because Jesus saves the best for last, whether that's relationally, whether that's personally, and as he prayed eschatologically that Jesus will return one day because he saves the best for last. And what I think you need to do when you realize that is do what these servants did and be amazed at his presence because no one lets the cat out the bag. No one runs to the bride and the bridegroom and the head waiter and the parents and say, oh my goodness, this guy Jesus just turned water into wine. Nobody discloses how this went down. The servants just marvel at the magnificence of the master. They become a part of something that goes down in history. Here's the big point that I want you to get, that they didn't take this as a moment of request. They took this as a moment of respect. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't have been one of these servants. They didn't look at this water turn into wine and say, hey, Jesus, well, by the way, can you heal my mother? Hey, Jesus, by the way, can you help me in this class? Hey, Jesus, by the way, can you work out this situation? Nope. They stand back as servants do, and they are amazed. My daughter, I will never forget this, a few years ago, we were living in Burlington, North Carolina, and I was sitting down. I was trying to watch the game. She comes downstairs, and she sits on my lap, and I change the channel to Disney, as I feel forced to do every time she's on that couch. She climbs up in my lap, and she puts her head on my chest, and she's cuddling up, and she's like, I love you, Daddy. I waited two, three minutes. She didn't say anything. Finally, I said, girl, what do you want? I already know how this works. You come in, you're sitting on Daddy's lap. Girl, what do you want? She says, nothing, Daddy. She grabs the remote from me, hits last, turns it back to the football game, and the volume up and rubs her head on my chest again. Finally, I said, stop playing with me. What do you want? And my daughter sat up, looked at me square in the face, and she said, Daddy, I just wanted to sit with you. And when she said that, something in me leaped that I was ready to say, take my credit card, cash, Apple Pay. You can have everything you want. Why? Because she just wanted to sit with her father. Can I encourage you with that as I take my seat, Chris Will, that you've got to learn to just sit with the Father, that you've got to learn how to amaze at the presence of God, that you've got to want him more than what he has, because when we want Jesus, it doesn't matter where we are or wherever we are or what we're dealing with, we should want him there. And when we want him, he will give us everything that he has. God, we thank you so much today for your word, for these people. We pray that seed fell on good soil, that it would take root and grow, that we would be shaping into the image of your son. God, help us to just do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. There were moments in that sermon that I was like, man, I got to remember. I'm at Criswell College. I'm not at Golden Gate Missionary Baptist <laughs> Church. Oh, there were so many shouting points. Let's clap our hands one more time and thank the Lord for <laughs> Pastor Emerson. Thank you so much again and again. So, so Pastor, you mentioned in the sermon as you were preaching that there were some choices that, or there are choices that you know, we have to make as it relates to being obedient. And I was looking at your bio and I'm hearing about you and I'm hearing your background. Obviously, your life is a testament of a series of those choices where you simply made the choice to do what Jesus asked. Um, what makes that moment, that pivot, for the Christian believer, especially young Christian believers that are studying in ministry, they're matriculating. What makes that, would you say, difficult today? Uh, well, I think there are a few things that make it difficult. One, culture, um, because a lot of what Jesus asks us to do is counterintuitive to culture. And so when everything that you see on social media is opposite of what Jesus asks you to do, it becomes difficult. Uh, also, then comfort makes it difficult, though, because the pivot is often not easy, right? When I went for an easy example, when I went to North Carolina, I, left, I was Abraham. I left my relatives, my residents, and all my resources. My six generations of my wife's family was alive, and they lived all 45 minutes or less from us. The only parents and cousins I knew all lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had to leave. And so I think even today those are big issues because you've got to leave comfort and you've got to go against culture often to do what God's asking you to do. How did the Lord work through you all of the, what I could imagine be the anxiety and, and concern and worry about how this will work, how will I afford this? I don't, I don't know too many people in the DFW area. All, I'm leaving family. I'm leaving the people and the things that I've cherished for so long to pursue what God has called me to do in a place I've never been to. How did the Lord bless you through that process? Wow. Um, <laughs> it's funny you said that. Uh, it, it's amazing, like, once you take a step, how God will open doors. And, and so for us, we were moving at the climax of the recession, when you think about 08, 09, 2010, that era of the bottom falling. We couldn't sell our house, couldn't do anything. And we're leaving, and literally a lady um, said, hey, I have a house. <laughs> uh, my husband passed away. I'm moving. You can have it. Like, not rent it. Wow. Like, just come live here. We'll figure it out later. And so just little things like that, that when you take a step, how God will just show up in ways like that. I mean, that, I think that's the biggest thing for me, that the more we took a step, the more God will. Almost a Jordan River for me, right? The Red Sea, they watched it spread. Jordan River, you got to step in that water, and then the water's going to start to part. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we'll uh, open it up for questions. I'm sure that there's questions in the audience. If anyone's interested, we have uh, individuals to our, my left and to my right who have mics ready. So any questions? Don't crowd. Oh, well, there's one. There you go. Hello? Hello? Thank you, sir, so much for being here. It was a really good message. Um, so as we go out into ministry or into career, um, how can we, 
when we're waiting on the Lord and we feel like the Lord is calling us into a moment, okay, this is it, this is the moment, this is where you're going to be serving, how can we really get confirmation of that? In what ways can we pray to the Lord and what things, and, and how can we be, be sure and, and know that we're following after his leading and not necessarily maybe, maybe missing the mark and chasing after something that is maybe a, a desire for us and not his will? Yeah, and I don't think that's a cut and dry uh, black and white answer. Um, I think the two things I would say is uh, bloom where you're planted, right? So you got to work well where you are. Work well while you wait, okay? Um, the other thing is if, when you're looking for direction, you got to be open to it, right? That's why I talked about comfort initially because maybe the direction God is taking you is, whoa, that ain't what I had planned, that's not what I want to do. And I think when you pray, I think the Lord, or not I think, but I believe scripture teaches us the Lord will confirm his, his plan for you in a multiplicity of ways, right? So what he asks you to do will not uh, contradict scripture. Uh, what he asks you to do can be confirmed by people that you're connected to, that you trust. Um, and there's a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so there's this moment too, though, where it doesn't make sense. But some, for some reason, I have this piece to do what it seems like I'm being pushed to do. I hope that's helpful. Excellent question. Thank you. Anyone else? Hello, Pastor. Yes, sir. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, you, you know, you preached. Doing is not always about understanding. It's about obedience. What are some good ways that we could tamp down that need or want to understand when God just wants us to obey? Whew, y'all got some great questions. Oh, man. You know, I don't know if that'll, I don't know if that'll ever go away, though. I don't know if you can make the desire to want to know go away. I think about even trauma, right? I think there are plenty of people who still grow up and still want to know, why did this happen to me? I think you have to make a decision to submit no matter what, though. And I think that's the big thing that we don't like. We don't like submission. And submission requires us to say, God, I trust you, even if I don't totally understand. I'm beyond. I don't think I have an answer for that. I don't think I can just tell you, hey, you pray hard enough, you're not going to want to understand. I, thank you, Holy Spirit. I think you have to rely on, God, I know your thoughts are not my thoughts, and your ways are higher than my ways, and your word never returns void. And so I don't get it, but I understand that you're greater and I trust you. Amen. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Excellent. We have one right here. Um, hello. Uh, so I had a question. It doesn't relate to the text very much, but in your personal life. Um, so... Here, uh, you know, most of us are young, like ministers or youth ministers or going into ministry. What's some advice that you could give us that maybe you would want to have heard whenever you're younger? Oh, man, I could do that for an hour. I'll tell you this. Uh, Be patient. Um, Be humble. Hold on tight to good relationships. Be patient. People will rush you. The, the fastest way to get out of your calling is other people. Because people will tell you you're greater than what you are. 
And you got to be willing to be patient and listen and submit and hold on. You have no idea how many people I quick how much time I have. Long story short, my father was pastoring 33 years and retired last week. I'm officially the pastor of the church. You have no idea when he had hit 20 years and 25 years, people were saying he need to retire. It's your time. You're up next. Be humble. You're not as great as you think you are, even on your best day. You will always have some leaders or learners. You will always have something to learn. You can always grow. You can always mature. And then keep good relationships because you're going to find out real fast ministry is lonely. Wow, Pastor Emerson, thank you so much. Let's give a, a, another hand, a hand clap. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.